If you would turn in your Bibles to page 1172, that's 1 Thessalonians 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to read the entire chapter. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always. For all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us. And of the Lord, for you received the word in in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I know I've shared this illustration before, but every time I I hear it, I know it's at least convicting to me, and I hope it is for you as well. In 1858, Sunday school teacher named Mr. Kimball led a Boston shoe store clerk to the Lord. The clerk was Dwight L. Moody, who later became an evangelist. In 1879, while Moody was preaching in England, the heart of a pastor by the name of F.B. Meyer was set on fire for the Lord, who later came to an American college campus to preach. Under his preaching, A student by the name of Wilbur Chapman was saved. Wilbur worked with the YMCA and eventually hired a former baseball player named Billy Sunday to do evangelistic work in Charlotte, North Carolina. The Lord blessed Billy Sunday and the hearts of many were saved, including some 30 businessmen who were convicted by the Holy Spirit to come together and pray for the town of Charlotte. In May of 1934, a local farmer named Franklin Graham lent these businessmen some land to use for their prayer meetings. During one of these meetings, the businessmen felt the Lord leading them to ask Mordecai Ham, a fiery southern evangelist, to come and lead a revival in their city. At the first meeting, Vernon Patterson, one of the businessmen, prayed that out of Charlotte that the Lord would raise up someone to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. God answered that prayer through Franklin Graham's son, whose name was Billy, who was saved that night. And during his lifetime, Billy would proclaim the good news of the gospel around the world. Think of all the lives that were changed because of one Sunday school teacher 
who was willing to use the gifts and talents that the Lord had given him for God's glory. I'm sure this man had no idea as he led this young man to the Lord, Dwight L. Moody, the chain of events that would begin, that would be started, and and the dominoes that are falling are still being felt around the world, the ripples of his faith. I wonder, though, do you think the Sunday school teacher ever wished he had a little bit, he had more gifts, more talents? Do you ever think he ever wished that maybe the Lord had made him an evangelist or a minister? I wonder if he thought to himself, I could, Lord, I could accomplish so much more if you had given more to me. I could make a bigger splash. It's like when we take Noah for a walk. One of his favorite things to do now that the creek is running is to pick up stones and throw those stones into the water one by one. Now what do you think happens after about 12 stones? What do you think he wants to do? And I'm not talking about jumping in because I'm sure that crosses his mind too. Well, what does he love about throwing stones? He, he loves to see the splash. He loves to see, hear the kaplunk. As that stone hits the water, he likes to see the ripples. Well, after you throw a bunch of little stones in, you're not content with that anymore. You want bigger stones, right? And so there he goes, and there goes Dad trying to help him find bigger stones so that makes a bigger splash and that he's happy. I think we all have thoughts like this from time to time as we serve the Lord. If only the Lord had given me more gifts and talents. If he'd given me the gifts and talents that I see in that person or in that Christian or in that leader. If only he had given me those, then I could really be used for the Lord. But it's just me. It's just the little, the few gifts and talents that the Lord has given me. The, the few pebbles it's really not much. But when we say that, do you know what we're forgetting? That the Lord specializes in using little ripple Christians. Little ripple Christians. We think automatically that we've got to throw big stones and make big kaplunks for the Lord. Big splashes. Our ripples, you know, to, that would go way across the pond or across the creek. But that's not our Lord. That's not how he normally operates. Oh, he will use folks like that that can do great things. But you know what he really specializes in? Little ripple Christians like us. Like you and like me. Because in the end, it's not about us. It's about offering to the Lord the little bit that he's given us. Asking him to bless it. And use us. I wonder if Paul and Silas left Thessalonica with similar thoughts. I'm sure they had big plans for this city, hoping to plant a church there. At the time, the, um, Thessalonica was the, the, um, in the providence of, of Macedonia. It had a population of around 200,000 people. And as an added bonus, there, there was even a, a cluster of, of Jews there. They had a synagogue. I'm sure Paul and Silas were expecting God to do some great and mighty things through them. It was their heart's desire to make a big splash for the Lord, and and there's nothing wrong with that. The only problem was, that wasn't the Lord's plan. 
Despite Paul and Silas throwing their stone into the pond at Thessalonica, it seemed to barely make a splash. Acts chapter 17 tells us that despite some of the Jews being saved and starting to follow Paul and Silas, as well as a large number of God-fearing Jews and some prominent women, it wasn't long before some jealous Jews were stirred up. And by the end, we're told in Acts 17 verse 9 that the, the Jewish leaders, because of their lies, turned them into a mob. Turned them into a mob that came after the disciples. Because they couldn't find Paul and Silas, they grabbed some of the other disciples. And because of the intervention of Jason, we're, we're, we're told that they were set free. A bond was paid. But because it was so unsafe for the disciples to be there, Paul and Silas ended up leaving and going to Bera. I'm sure as they looked back and thought about the short little stay they had in, in Thessalonica, I wonder if they thought, was it a success? Or had maybe we were failures? Did we do something wrong? I'm sure they were scratching their heads. How do you evaluate something like this? If we were in their shoes, how would we evaluate it? I think the answer to this depends on how you evaluate success and failure. If we evaluate success by the size of the ripples, by the splash you make, well then of course they weren't successful. They were failures. But if that's not what's important to God, He just wants us to cast our stones upon the water and let Him bring about the effect using the, our ripples, whatever splash we make. How can we be considered failures if the Lord takes the little we have and blesses it? See, our success is not dependent on our strength or power or even wisdom. What it's dependent on is God and God working through us. I mean, that's one of the truths of, of Jesus feeding the 5,000. He took those five loaves of bread and those two little fish. And what did he do to them? He multiplied them and blessed them, and they were sufficient to meet all the needs of the people, to feed and fill their bellies. That's what God wants to do with us, with the gift and talents that he's given to you. If we will offer them to the Lord, he'll take them and bless them, Multiply them so that they're sufficient to meet the needs of those around you. Remember in 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul pleaded with the Lord to take his thorn in the flesh away. We're not told exactly what it is, but more than likely it was his eyesight. I'm sure Paul figured he could be so much more effective if he could see. Then he could clearly throw those pebbles into the water. And he could probably make a really big Splash. That's not, that wasn't part of God's plan. Despite Paul pleading with the Lord to, to take that away from him, you remember what God said to him My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You hear what God is saying to Paul? Paul, it's not about you, it's not about the big ripples that you think you can make. I'm going to glorify myself through you if you will just faithfully 
throw your pebbles into the pond. I will use them for my honor and glory. And we know Paul understood this because he responds with these words, O Lord, okay, I'll, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardship and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In God's hands, the five loaves and two fish that he had, they were sufficient to meet the needs of those around him. Just like they're sufficient to meet the needs of those around you, if you will faithfully offer them to the Lord. And that's exactly what Paul experienced for himself in Thessalonica. Despite how things had gone in the beginning, despite his short stay there, despite being afraid for his life, yet because God blessed the little ripples that Paul made, those ripples became like a tsunami in God's hands. See, God had been at work in that church during that time. From the time that they visited this this church to later on when, when Paul wrote that letter to them. God had been at work. It wasn't about Paul. But it was about the Holy Spirit moving within these believers and producing in them the fruit of, of faith. Listen to some of the things that Paul is thankful for that he sees in, in this church. First, he says in verse 3 that he recognizes their work produced by faith. Secondly, he says their labor of love. Thirdly, their steadfastness of hope. All these things are the fruit of our salvation. The fruit that God asks each of us to bear. Clearly these believers, they, they, they were patiently waiting for the Lord's return. And as they waited, they were offering the Lord their all, their everything. Paul rejoiced that their love and faith was rooted like this in the hope that they had in Christ. I'm sure it, it, it humbled Paul. Because again, it reminded him, it's not about me. It's about God taking a little bit that I have and I offer to him and blessing it and using it. Another thing that filled Paul with praise and thanksgiving was God's steadfast love that he showed in the way he called these believers to himself. I'm sure it was a reminder again to Paul that he's, he wasn't in control. It wasn't about him, it was about God using him. It was God who was in control. Notice Paul doesn't say the people chose God. Paul doesn't also say that their salvation was due to him, but he gives God all the glory. God is the one who called these people to himself. He used Paul. He used the stones that Paul threw and those ripples of faith, but God gets all the glory. God called them to himself, just like God has called us to himself. Scripture is clear, because of sin there's no way we can invite Christ into our lives without God's help, without the Holy Spirit first being at work and preparing the ground of our heart so that seed of faith can be planted and can begin to grow. 
Listen to how Paul summarizes this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. We can't boast. Well, I did it. We can't take any of the credit. And he goes on. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. He gets all the honor and glory. It's his work. Who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. See, salvation from beginning to end is God's idea. All the glory goes to him. That means we can't take any for ourselves. Really, it's a gift of God's mercy and grace. It's a gift of his love that he calls us to follow him. That he gives us that gift of faith, that he begins that work within us. The canons of Dort, it tells us this gift of faith was, was breathed and infused in us by God. Breathed and infused. I love that wording. That's God. That's what he's been doing in your heart. Breathing and infusing faith, his kingdom. Producing in us those good works. Who God chooses to call. Why God chooses to call some immediately from the time they're little and others he chooses until much later to call them to himself. We, we don't always understand that. It seems like a mystery to us. But it's God's work, and that's what we need to keep in mind. And as we think about the whole thing of evangelism, reaching out to our neighbors, this is God's work. That takes the pressure off you. It takes the pressure off me. You just have to faithfully throw your pebbles into the Lord's pond. Faithfully throw them. God will, God will take those little ripples and he'll do incredible things with them. But he chooses to partner through us. And that means we've got to be faithful in throwing our gifts before the Lord. Those stones. See, this is what it means to be a disciple maker. It's God's work that he chooses to orchestrate through us. And we see this happening in our story through Paul and Silas and later through Timothy. It's the reason they had such an effect on this church, even though their stay there was so short. And the, the visits after that were even very brief. Paul just needed to faithfully throw those pebbles before the Lord. And God took care of the rest. Last week I mentioned about that tsunami that, that hit near Chile years ago. What was so fascinating about it is they predicted exactly where those waves would hit and, and exactly what time. The only thing they couldn't predict was how big they would be. And as I said last week, thankfully they were only two, three feet high instead of giant tsunami waves. And if any of you remember the, the news reports of that, as those waves came to the shoreline of, of Hawaii, it looked like a pond with five rows of little waves all following each other. What's amazing, though, is those waves crossed an ocean to get to Hawaii, thousands of miles. Boy, doesn't that sound a lot like God's people? It sounds like our Christian lives. 
Do you know we leave ripples behind? Your faith leaves ripples behind. And they're, they continue to, to move out and, and spread long after the Lord calls us home. Our lives really do tell a story. It tells a story about what's important to us, about what we believe, about what our priorities are. Verse 7, Paul says that the believers of Thessalonica became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Their faith had become known everywhere. It was known across the region. But who modeled that faith originally for them? Paul tells us, the end of verse 5, You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. His example. His faith. That's what people were watching. A while back I read an article about a NCAA cross-country championship held in Riverside, California. Apparently in one of the races, 123 of the 128 runners followed somebody off course. They started heading the wrong direction. Well, there was one runner who knew the way to go, and he kept trying to motion for everyone to follow him and not to go down the other street. But everyone ignored him, except for four other people. And they interviewed this young man afterwards, and he told him it was torture to leave the 123 and to run on his own with just the other four. It was torture for him. But he said he had to go in the right direction. He had to go in the way that took him to the finish line. That's what Paul chose to do in Thessalonica during his short stay with them. He chose to live for the Lord, to finish the race, to keep the faith. And as he ran his race, he invited others to run with him. He showed others what it meant to live for the Lord, to glorify him with our lives. He showed them how to get to the finish line. Even when facing incredible opposition, chapter 2, verse 2 says, He still proclaimed Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. He proclaimed this not just with words, but he modeled it in the way he lived his life. Sometimes our our words don't do justice. What people are really focused on and looking at is how we live our lives. The ripples of faith they see coming from us. And through Paul and Silas, witness and Philippi and Bera and Thessalonica, Christ called so many to follow him. Despite Paul being around these people for such a short time, yet look at the profound impact he had on them through the working of the Holy Spirit. All because Paul was willing to throw his pebbles to the Lord. And not only did did God use his, but also Silas and Timothy's and those other disciples to encourage these Christians to follow Jesus. These Christians apparently changed so completely 
Again, that word about them spread everywhere. Their faith shouted so loudly from their lives that Paul says, I don't need to say anything more about it. You just have to look at them and you can see it. You can see the truth. This is what it means to live for Jesus. This is what it means to put your trust in the Lord and to use your gifts for His honor and glory. That's how I want people to talk about us someday. Every one of us. They want that they would look at our lives, they would look at our faith and say, wow, I want to follow them. I want to be more like them. I want to be more like Jesus. That's what our lives should be pointing to. And so we have to ask ourselves, does it? Does your life point to him? Or do you find yourself often living too much for yourself and for the things of this world? One last story that ties into the very the, the story I, I told you at the very beginning. Albert McMakin, Albert McMakin was a 24-year-old farmer that came to know the Lord in 1934. He was so full of love for the Lord that he used to invite people to church, and if he heard that there was a revival in the area, he would invite people to the revival. And because he only had an old farm truck, he would invite people to jump in the back, and that's how they'd go to church. That's how they'd go to the revival, in the back of his truck. There was one particular young man that really tugged at his heart, that he prayed for constantly. He was the son of another farmer down the road. The young man was so busy falling in and out of love with every girl in the area that he had no time for God. And he actually wanted nothing to do with Jesus, or so that's what he claimed. And despite Albert inviting this young man over and over and over to go to church and go to a revival, the young man was always too busy. He refused. But Albert didn't give up on him. During one revival, because apparently he was busy and because... God was working in his heart. He asked this young man if he would drive his truck to pick up these other folks and bring them to a revival. He told him, you don't have to go into the meeting. You can just sit in the truck. It's okay. But would you bring them to the revival? It's, it's so important. Do it as a favor to me. Well, the young man did, and he stayed out in the truck. A couple days later, the revival was still going on, and he says, could you bring these other folks to the revival? And he told him where to pick him up, and the young man says, sure. But this time he went in, and the Lord called his name, and he gave his life to Jesus. We know who that young man is. That was Billy Graham. And through him, some 250 million people have given their lives to the Lord. Through God's work in him, through him, through the Holy Spirit, 250 million people have given their lives to the Lord. Again, we know all about Billy, but what about Albert, who took his few gifts and his truck and dedicated them to the Lord? And because he was faithful, because he was willing to be used by the Lord, look at how God saved Billy. 
And again, you can just see God's plan coming together. There was that certain evangelist, like I said at the very beginning, that was there at that time. And because of Albert's influence, making sure he got there, look at the dominoes that began to fall as a result of that. The ripples of faith that are still being felt around the world. People of God, you are God's disciples. He's calling you to go out into the world and be disciple makers. He's given you each pebbles that he wants you to use for his glory and honor. Again, you don't have to worry about the results. God will take care of that. But we have to be faithful in offering the little the Lord has given us. Offering it to the Lord and God will take it and bless it and multiply it and use it to meet the needs of those around you. You don't need to worry about the results. You don't have to worry about the ripples, how big the splash is. You just have to be faithful before the Lord. In our text, Paul was able to confidently say, be imitators of us and of the Lord. Can you say those words to your spouse? Can you say those words to your family, to your children? Could you say them to your coworker, coworkers? Do others see the ripple of faith coming from your life? Through the help of the Holy Spirit, may we bear the fruit of salvation and faithfully throw our pebbles before the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for your word. And Father, we just thank you for being at work in, in Thessalonica. And Lord, despite how things seemed, Lord, that wasn't a hindrance to you. But you took those little ripples, and Lord, you created a mighty tsunami, Lord, that raised up a church. Lord, and so many lives were, were changed as a result of that. And the fruit of that is still being felt around the world. Father, forgive us when we minimize the gifts that you've given us. Father, when we think those little pebbles are just too small to accomplish anything, forgive us, Lord, and help us to remember it's not about us, but it's about you. And we just pray, Lord, that you'll take the little that you've given us and use it for your honor and glory. But Lord, give us a burden for the lost around us. May each of us be faithful in sharing our light and being a witness to those you've placed in our lives in our lives. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Leaning on the